remember that time I interrupted my wife during tithes and offering by putting a table here? <laughs> I'm so sorry, honey. Uh, she, my wife was talking, and I put a table in front of her. Uh, that happen often? <laughs> yeah. I won't do that again. That was my offering, was the table. <laughs> wow. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, we're glad you're here. You already met Tommy earlier, but I am Tyler. I'm the high school pastor. Um, and so with Emily, we are uh, some of the student ministry team. And we wanted to share a little bit with you guys some of our world, some of our normal. Yes. So this is, uh, what is this, our third kind of student infusion as we yeah. figure out what this looks like. And today, we wanted to give you guys a little taste of student ministry. So one of the things that we do, which I don't know why it disappears at some point later in life, um, but we actually over there like to have some fun. And so we would like to share with you guys one of our kind of gathering games. If that's all right with you. I'm not messing around. We're going to play a game in church. Uh, so you can kind of see what it's like. We have some young people scattered around. So if you need some help as to how to have fun, you can look to them. Um, I know we just had you sit, and I apologize for that. But this is a, just a little bit of a standing up just game. So if you can. If you're uh, at home, go ahead and stand up as well. If you're at well, home, you stand play. up as well. It'll be way better. Um, if you're tired of up, down, that's okay. You that's can remain fine. seated for this. But the way this works, we're going to go through this quickly because we have other things to do. But I'm going to take my hands and I'm going to gum this way. When my hands cross, you must clap. If you clap when you're not supposed to or don't clap when you are supposed to, sit down. All right, so for example, if I come across, there's the clap. And I come across, there's the clap. And if I stop, oh, ah, now see, that's, that's going to be a problem. All right, so here we go. This is an honor system. We are in church after all. Yeah, but also watch your neighbor. Definitely do that. Okay. So here, I'll even make it a little bit easier on everybody this morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oof. Wow. Where's the soup? Yeah. <laughs> says, I don't know what it says, but here we go. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Come on, Vanderbilt. Oh, my. wow. We got wow. Wait, did you, you guys beat all my students already? The <laughs> this yeah. is amazing. This is amazing. Props to, oh, my goodness. This is great. I will right, we'll do one more just for the fun of it. You guys are doing great. Some of you clapping very quietly. Oh, oh, what do we got? <laughs> All right, hey, we got four winners this morning. You guys right. are awesome. This is super cool. I can get up for a second. Oh, and I don't know if you guys in the tech team won as well. Five, six. Congratulations. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for playing with us. Uh, we like to just kind of loosen up and look around and get to know each other and, and have some fun. Um, but to kind of transition us to the next part, if you would, I would like to go before our God in prayer this morning. Father, um, you are God of so many things. Um, we have worshipped you for your holiness. We have worshipped you for your love. And we do thank you that 
you are the God who uh, designed community and fellowship and that we can be in a room and do this together and, and even um, share a laugh and a smile and so many things that you have given to us. Uh, and we are also grateful this morning for your word. We ask that you would speak powerfully through it. We are grateful for that gift. Teach us what you want us to hear this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are uh, joining in part of the Faces in the Crowd series. Um, So this story uh, takes us to the book of Mark chapter 5. So if you have Bibles or devices, that's where Tommy and I both are going to be. Uh, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, and then continuing through most of that chapter. Uh, And this story picks up right in the middle of Jesus' ministry. If you're familiar with the book of Mark, it's just boom, 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 one story to the next. So we're already right in the middle of Jesus doing quite a few things. He's teaching and bopping around and becoming very well known, hence the large crowd that we're about to see. So chapter 5, verse 21 of the book of Mark And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So Jesus is known for some of what he says and some of what he does. He has a reputation. And so uh, an individual we're introduced to named Jairus comes to Jesus and fell at his feet. Probably literal. It's also a theme in the book of Mark of worship and recognizing Jesus has authority. People are doing this to Jesus frequently. And so Jairus comes and recognizes who he is and in a moment of worship and request asks Jesus for this thing. And it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, Here's what I've noticed. People pray hardest when things are outside of their control. And in what Jairus has presented, things are very much outside of his control. It was an honest request from a place of hardship. And so the Bible simply says in verse 24 that Jesus went. Um, But this is actually a sandwich. It's part of the way that Mark writes his gospel. And so we're introduced to Jairus, and he's the beginning of the story, but there's actually another story in the middle. And so as Jesus is going, we're introduced to another character, and Tommy is going to spend some time with us about her. Thanks. Did you measure this? Is this 15 feet exactly? I don't know. I know some of you were probably thinking... Is Tommy just going to watch Tyler preach from the stage? No, they're actually letting me talk. Um, And then apparently, we get to do this now. Tyler said this would look cool if I tucked it in. Uh, So, this is uh, is very exciting for me. This is one of my favorite 
passages in Scripture. This is one of the uh, places where God has spoken to me the most. Uh, I've experienced a great deal of life change and transformation through passages like this. So we're going to uh, jump right into these next four verses, talking about uh, this woman who has a, a blood disease. So it says this, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had learned the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. Garments, clothing, robe, that sort of thing. Everything I've read about this woman, whether it's from uh, historical context, from, from commentaries, uh, from things like that, they point to the fact that this was a no-no. This was not okay for her to do. She would have been considered unclean. Uh, some say that her own husband most likely could not have even been around her. And that was just culturally the norm. And... And yet here she is out in the middle of a crowd. Here she is going against everything that her culture says is, is the way to do it. And she's doing it this way. I read something that I loved about this woman. And it, it was this idea that how we can relate to her is that usually people tend to apply themselves to Christ once everything else has failed. Because he is always a sure refuge even to those who make him their last refuge. Even if you've tried everything and, and it was kind of like, a, okay, well, okay, I guess I'll try Jesus. Uh, he's still your refuge. He's still there. And he, and he shows that through this woman. So she'd heard about Jesus and she, she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be made well. Um, everything will be okay. How many of you have have thought that before, that whole, if only I do this. You've got a situation in your life. You've got a situation at home with a person at school, at work, and you're like, if only I could do this, or if only this would happen, then everything will be better. Then I will be well. Then I will be okay. And how many of you have been through life enough to know that that rarely works, and <laughs> that rarely works that way, that we have this idea that if only this one thing would happen, if only my, my luck would turn, if only, what's that saying, um, if only, I don't know, my ship would come in, something like that, like then, then everything would be okay. But it, there tends to be a lot more going on. That's usually a surface level thing. And what's really going on is a deeper thing. is something inside of us. And that's exactly what Jesus knew. And that's exactly how Jesus entered into this. So how does, a, how does someone get to the point that this woman was at? Uh, well, <laughs> you don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you can relate to this? says she went to plenty of physicians, plenty of doctors. How many of us have been to doctor after doctor after doctor? Uh, it says she spent all of her money. How many of us have racked up medical bills trying to fix something, trying to get to the bottom of some chronic disease or discomfort or something like that? 
I know that in the last few years, God has highlighted a lot of people in my life, a lot of friends and family members who are in this exact situation. Seems like they've spent tons of money, they've spent tons of time trying to fix something physically about them, and it hasn't worked for some reason. And here's the thing about this woman. I used to read this and think, oh, that's, that's too bad. I feel sorry for her. That's too bad that things are, are not going well for her. But this time around, I'm reading it and I'm realizing, actually, this woman's amazing. This woman's incredible. She, she had tried everything and instead of lying in her bed, which is probably her only other option, she went, I've heard about this Jesus I'm going to do everything I can to get to him. If I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch a fiber of his clothing, I will be made well. That's amazing. Like she didn't say, oh, if I could just talk to him. I'm sure if I could show him exactly how bad I am and and convince him that I need to be healed, then he'll heal me. And it wasn't even, if I can touch his hand, because the power seems to be in his hand. So he's, touch, he's laying hands on people. If I can just touch his hand, then I'll be well. It wasn't even that. It was simply a, a, his clothing. If I can just touch his garment, that. And I'm like, I want to be like that. So many times I'm in prayer with the Lord and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to plead my case and I'm going to convince God why I need to be made well in this area of my life. And yet here's a woman showing us that, that <laughs> he's, he's so amazing, like that, that our faith can be so strong that, that we don't need to convince him of anything, that we just need believe, and that'll come up later as well. So verse 28, we get this. If I can just touch his, his garment, I will be made well. Other translations put it as, I will be made whole. It comes from the Greek word sozo, which means to save, heal, preserve, rescue, be made well. Rescue is a great one there because there's, there's something bigger happening here. There's something bigger going on that, that Jesus wants to, to save you from more than just pain, more than just physical discomfort. He wants to save you from sin. He wants to save you from that thing that separates you from the Father, from, from that which can make you completely whole. And so that's what happens. So verse 29, starting from there, we read this. And immediately... Uh, the flow of blood dried up. So she touches his robe immediately. She feels in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd around you and yet you say, who touched me? First of all, how dare you talk to the Lord that way? But... You say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So I, I skipped past one thing just a second ago. Jesus is available. That's important. Jesus is available. He's there. 
and she went to him. So she feels herself perfectly well. And we know this is a miracle because it didn't happen gradually. It happened all at once, all of a sudden. Jesus says, who touched my robe? The disciples have a point. Everybody's touching his robe. But Jesus wanted to find this woman. He wanted to point something out here. He wanted to commend and encourage this woman for her faith. He knew that she needed to know that something even better than her healing had happened. That she, had, she was going to receive freedom from her sin. She was going to, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, which is what Jesus came to bring right there. Because she believed in him. So it says the woman, knowing what had happened, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She had come to him in desperation. She had come to him knowing that she needed something so bad. Have you ever taken a risk knowing that you could get in trouble for it? Because here's the thing, faith takes risk. This woman, she knew she was considered unclean. She knew she could get in trouble for doing this, for going out in public, for going into a crowd, and yet she did it anyway. I'm reminded of a time that I worked at a different job than this, and I got to experience what it's like to uh, be in a culture that is not a Christian culture, that is, is not filled with believers. I worked at a place where I got to hear a lot of stuff, have a lot of conversations that, that I'd never heard before in my life. And I'm so grateful God gave me that, that experience. There was, one, there was this one day where one of my coworkers came into work And he was saying that his back was killing him and he'd been having this weird vertigo thing, but we didn't have sick pay at this job. And so here he was, you know, he could, he could work, but it was going to be a painful day for him because we worked on our feet. And, and so he worked the day and I, I remember I, I, I prayed for him silently. I was like, okay, pray for him. Hopefully that'll help. I told him I'd, I'd be praying for him uh, because they knew this about me, but as the day wore on, I could, I could feel God compelling me. Tommy, you need to pray for this guy. And I was like, I did. Um, I'm done. Like, that's it. And he was like, no, you need to pray for this guy. And I was like, okay. And, and I, I, I started getting scared as, as the work day was progressing. I knew I was getting off before him, so that would be the perfect time um, to do it. But... I mean, my boss was definitely not a Christian at the time, and, uh, and while we had a great relationship and friendship, and they knew about my faith and everything, like, I'd never tried anything like praying for someone in the middle of work, and so I didn't know what, could that be a problem? And then, and then my coworker, he's, he was not a believer, and so, you know, what's that for him? Is he... Does he shut me down when I offer to, you know, actually like put my hand on his, on his back and pray for him? Like, I don't know. This is scary. And so, so I took a risk after work. I like called him over to like the corner and I was like, hey, I know you're still on the clock. But, but real quick, like I believe that, that there's power in the name of Jesus. And I believe that, that 
uh, I, can, I've, I can pray for you and, and God can help you. And he was like, I'll take anything right now because he was in so much pain. And so I'm like shaking and like put my hand on his back. I just said a simple prayer, asked God to heal him and, and that he would, you know, make it through the rest of this day. And, and that was it. And, and he was, he was like, he was touched for one thing. He, he said, thank you so much for doing that. Um, I already feel a little better just because you did that. And, and, and I was like, absolutely. And like, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. And I was like, um, and I told him like, text me if, if it feels all better. And, uh, and he didn't text me immediately, but a few days later, like he was, he was doing way better. And, and the point of that is that I got to feel what it's like to, to take a risk like that. And that's, that's a reality here, that faith takes risk. Speaking of faith, verse 34 says this. So, so Jesus finds her. She comes up to him. He's like, daughter, your faith has made you well. There's that word again, sozo. Well, whole. Your faith has made it all good. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Boom. Her desperation for Jesus, she had nothing left. She, all she had was her desperation. Her desperation for Jesus led her to healing, but it also led to her salvation. It led to so much more than she was expecting. There's a a, a story that I love. Um, I read a book a few years ago called Rush of Heaven. And it's a story about a woman who experienced something that I'd never heard before in my life. So in 1993... This woman, her name was Emma McKinley, she fell off a ladder at work. Um, and this, this is what happened to her. Uh, we have a picture of her after this accident. She, she developed something called reflex sympathetic dystrophy syndrome. It's a rare nerve disorder that cripples limbs and causes severe uh, sensitivity to touch. This pain known as casalgia. Um, I hope I said that right, is said to hurt more than almost anything known to man, according to the McGill Pain Index. So this is what she eventually looked like after the progression of this disease. And there's no cure for it, and there's, there was no effective way to manage the pain she was experiencing. And she lived like this for 18 years. And she was a Christian. And so for those 18 years, she prayed all day for her pain to be healed. She faithfully attended church. She shared her faith in Jesus with others. When she was at the hospitals and when she was at the doctor, she was constantly uh, telling them about Jesus in the face of this unbelievable extreme pain. And then something happened after 18 years. So on December 23rd, 2011, this is what she looked like. This was all, like, all of her pain, all of her, her treatment was documented by the Mayo Clinic. Uh, that's where she went. But then the next day on Christmas Eve, something, something happened. So according to Emma, she was in her home. She, she was in her wheelchair. She took a, bad, uh, uh, took a bad turn over a bump, and she fell. And just just the even worse pain than she'd been experiencing suddenly overcame her and she was crying out for Jesus 
And, and in her words, he showed up. He showed up in a white robe and she, he held out his hand to her and she could feel her spine start to heal. She could feel her start to unbend. Uh, she had a clubbed hand and she could feel it opening and she started seeing it happen. And then Jesus held out her hand, his hands to her and he picked her up and, and, and she could stand and she could walk. Her spine, her foot, and her hand were good as new. This, this uh, 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 completely surprised her family the next day uh, when they came over. Uh, there was an empty wheelchair. They thought the worst had happened, but no, she came walking around the corner. Uh, a miracle happened that night. Uh, this is what she looks like now. We have a picture of her now. Uh, she went to all her doctors, went to the Mayo Clinic, had them check her out. She, she was still experiencing some pain and stuff, but, but this was unbelievable to them. Like, she had a primary physician for 10 years who had documented all this and, and could, had no explanation for this, that, that this was unbelievable. Now, I want to point out something that's so important about her story. She continually prayed for 18 years for Jesus to heal her. She had absolute moments of frustration, but she let her desperation for Jesus strengthen her faith. So often we lean into our frustration instead of our desperation. We have to believe that Jesus can change our lives. Like this woman uh, with the blood disease, she believed Jesus could change her life. Like Emma McKinley, she believed Jesus could change her life. I know there are, there are some of you, possibly many of you, who, who are experiencing chronic pain and, and who have gone through something like this where 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you've tried everything. Nothing seems to be working. You've been to, to the naturopath. You've been to the chiropractor. You've been to the dermatologist. You've been to every ologist that they have and still nothing. But what Jesus gives us here is a picture of what can happen through faith. And it's not, it's not as simple as me just standing up here and saying, you need to have some more faith. It, it's not. But it is about believing that Jesus can change things. I want to encourage you to think about what it would look like to lean more into your desperation for Jesus. And I'm saying this for myself too. To lean more into our desperation for Jesus than to lean into our frustration for what hasn't happened yet. So, what do you do, what can you do when you've tried everything and nothing seems to be working? Now that may be the end of, of the woman's story here, <laughs> but, but we get to see another example here of, of how Jesus changes things. So then Jairus comes back. If you remember Jairus from the beginning of our story, um, he is still walking 
with Jesus through this whole story and then receives news as his friends show up in verse 35. Mark 5:35. while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? So there's the question. Why bother the teacher? Why trouble Jesus anymore? It's a profound question. It's totally understandable given the news that has just happened. And it is profoundly bad. Setting aside for a moment that Jesus has just done the miraculous. Jesus has just done something incredible that is not supposed to have been possible. That he has healed a sickness that humans could not heal. Think broadly with me for a second about what is in this question. There are three wrong assumptions in this question. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Assumption one is it's too late. The time has passed. Assumption two, Jesus can't do it. This is not something that, that can be done. And then the third one is if you can't get Jesus' miracle, might as well leave. Why trouble the teacher anymore? H have you ever made one of these assumptions about God? If you've made one of these assumptions... I would argue it's not God's fault. I wrestle with these from time to time. I wrestle with the first one especially. I see these three almost every day because we are a short-sighted people and we just need to be reminded sometimes. If you say it's too late, you've placed a time limit on when Jesus can work on when and how God is allowed to work. Can't be done. The specifics of how I wanted God to do this thing, the time has passed. I don't, I don't see. It's been too long. There's nothing God can do. Now my option is to be frustrated with God's timing or lack of it. If you say Jesus can't do it, well, then we have placed limitations on the one who has power over death, who has brought himself back from the dead and raised others. And then there's the third assumption. Well, if, if, if you can't get Jesus' miracle, then there's no point in being around him anymore. Jairus' friends offered this to him. Since it's too late or since Jesus can't do it, might as well leave. This one, this one breaks me. Uh, because these days, I think it comes in the form of, that church didn't do it for me. Or I have a prayer that God didn't answer however many years ago. And it's just not for me. There's this assumption that if the, the thing we're looking for, the miracle, the whatever, if that's not to be had in the way that I thought, there is no point in being around Jesus. Three bad assumptions. People misjudged Jesus. But he's not too worried about it. 
People misjudged Jesus all the time. So here's his response. Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. I spent most of last week trying to figure out what that phrase means. What is Jesus talking about? I do not believe that this is a weapon for us to throw around. Don't be afraid, just believe. Well, for starters, Jesus is the one saying this. In all of the Gospels, Jesus only raised three people from the dead. This is not a common uh, thing to expect to happen. Jesus is standing here with Jairus about to do the thing so he can say it. I have a friend who had uh, cancer twice and was actually told at a fundraiser for medical bills that they were not healed because they didn't have strong enough faith. That was said to them while having cancer. Now, you might have thought something similar, even though I hope that nobody here would say something like that to a sick person. But sometimes we think that faith kind of works that way. After reading this and reading this and praying through this and pouring over, and as Tommy has opened the door for this already, here's a different idea. This is the same Jesus who at a different point in his life said, you can have faith the size of a mustard seed. Uh, For all you guys who are on your phone right now, anyway, goofing around, Google mustard seed. It's very, very, very small. I don't think that Jesus, who offers that to us, would also say that your intellectual agreement has to be some certain amount strong in order to get something from him. I don't see that other places in the Gospels. Well, then maybe Jairus didn't believe at all. Don't have faith, just believe. Well, I don't think it's, it's that easier because re- remember, Jairus came to Jesus in the first place. That's how this story started. He'd heard of him, said, I have a problem Can you help? That's not a sentence spoken by a person with no faith. So here's what I think is happening. Jesus has already agreed. He's walking with Jairus. They were interrupted, but they're on the way. He is in the process of doing a miracle, and then things changed. The news changed. Shifted. The situation is now different, and Jesus tells Jairus to keep believing. Don't be afraid, and also do not stop having that faith. And in this particular case, in this story, faith or believe means to walk, to literally walk. Walk. They're not at his house yet. They're not there. They haven't gotten to Jairus' daughter. He's leading Jesus. They were stopped. They're somewhere else. 
and they need to get there. It means to walk. See, in the Western world, we've done something interesting with faith that the people of the Bible would not recognize. In our context, by and large, we have made it a thing about our brain or our gut. Faith is either something you feel or it is a thought or a conviction. In reality, the word does not mean that. And so if from time to time you are reading through your Bible and confused about the way that they use faith or believe, it's because what we know about it is uh, quite a bit different than what was intended. Faith is a life choice. Faith is a reorienting of ourselves. It was faith that led Jairus to make a desperate request. And Jesus honored it. And it was faith that led the woman to sneak through a crowd and do something very risky and unusual. And Jesus honored it and even commended her faith even more. And that is why Mark writes his gospel this way, with this sandwich, highlighting these two things. And we have Jairus and we have the woman and we have Jairus again because they only have one thing in common. In this story, she doesn't even have a name. We have Jairus' name. We have his position. It's one of respect. He is walking with Jesus. He is an equal. The woman comes from behind. They are so totally different and they have one thing in common They are both victims of a desperate circumstance who have no hope apart from Jesus. They are victims of a desperate circumstance and they have no hope apart from Jesus. Now that is a truth that can be applied to every single one of us. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 5 and 6. I love this passage so much. Ephesians 2, verse 5 and 6 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God makes us alive even when we were dead. Not misguided, not lonely, not victims, not working out the problems of our own choices, dead. The point of this passage in Mark is Jesus conquering ailments that humans cannot conquer. It is very clear in the part that Tommy shared that this woman tried all the doctors. That's in there for a reason. The humans couldn't do it, but Jesus could. Then he moves to Jairus, and it's the one sickness that we will never solve. It's death, but Jesus could do it. In this passage for both Jairus And the woman, their desperation is what sent them to Jesus. Looking for something to be fixed, but in return getting something so much 
better. And in the end of this story, Jesus goes with Jairus and just to demonstrate his power, he says two words in his original language. It's Mark 5.41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Jesus spoke and death was conquered. And these two come to Jesus wanting some kind of physical remedy and what they receive is so much better. Sozo, made whole. Jesus speaks life and salvation over them. That is so often the case with us in how sometimes something will send us back to church or looking for God, or trying to find a better way, or whatever it is. And with Jesus, there is eternal life. And my encouragement for every one of us would simply be, do not give up on that desperation. We now, if you believe in Jesus Christ and have walked this, you understand that even though we do not have that desperation, we must live like it. We now have to live like the desperate people we see, even though Christ may have saved us from having to actually live it. What I mean by that is we don't fake desperation. We don't pretend that things are terrible to get to Jesus. We need to be reminded of it. There is something that affects every one of us. Our sinful condition is desperate and Jesus is faithful. If you've ever seen God move, have faith that he can move and will move again. Would you pray with me? God, Let us continually run to you, whether it is for the first time or whether we need to be reminded of what led us to you in the first place. God, we need you. We need the power that only you have. We need the saving that only you can provide. And we need to be with you. Let us bother you. Let us trouble you. Bring us close to you and keep us there. In your holy name we pray. Amen.